Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. So we're looking to James chapter 1, Revelation chapter 3. We're in a series, our summer sermon series, The Crown. We're looking at the first three kings of Israel. First king's name is Saul. Second, his son, or sorry, Saul, and then there was David, and then David's son, Solomon. Three kings. We're going to spend a little bit of time looking at the three kings because they were all crowned, but not all of them end at life with the crown. So we're going to begin, and today we continue on lessons from the life and death of King Saul. We're going to close off King Saul today. Uh, he dies in our story today. I know a number of you have been reading the text, 1 Samuel. If you haven't, invite you to do that uh, in your Bibles. The entire book of 1 Samuel is a book around the life of Samuel, but also around the life of King Saul. James chapter 1 has been our theme, verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And the second text is over in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Jesus says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. So, Father, we ask that you would guide and direct us. We pray you would help us to understand the significance of the crown of life that you give us and the significance of holding on to that crown. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So a number of things I want to talk today about the life and death of Saul. Now, there's two Sauls in the Bible. There's Saul of the New Testament. I'm not talking Saul of the New Testament. I'm talking Saul of the Old Testament. He was, we talked a couple of weeks ago, he was crowned as a young man. He didn't ask for it. He was the first king of Israel. He had a lot of skill. He looked like a warrior. And in his early days, he was a very humble man. But then he allowed some things to penetrate his heart. He did not protect his heart. And there's tremendous lessons we need to learn from this guy. And so that's what we're doing. We uh, if we don't learn the history lessons, they repeat themselves, don't they? So they repeat themselves in our lives, and I don't want that to happen. Uh, we can learn from it. We can grow from it. I believe that's why it's there. So God will help us in our lives. And so let's look at some of these things. I want to begin by going to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I think 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 and 13 sums up what we want to share this morning quite well. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. We will go through seasons of trial and temptation. That was James 1. We are 
being tempted, under trial. We are under a test. The crown is threatened, the crown of life. It's not how you start the race, it's how you finish the race. Isn't that the way it works? You start a race, okay, start off with blazes, but you better finish well. All of us have not yet finished the race. We're still in the race. If you weren't, you wouldn't be here. We're still in the race of life. But let's make sure we finish the race well. And the Bible has a lot to say. God has a lot to say about how you can finish the race with the crown. The crown that he offers, the crown of life. The crown through his son Jesus. And this text right here says, yes, you will. It didn't say, it didn't say if you are tempted. It says when you are tempted. He makes sure that you will not be tempted beyond what you can handle. You're going through something possibly. He will make sure it's not too much for you. He will make sure there is a way for you to get through it. He will provide a way and it's himself to get through it. It is not too great for you to get through. 1 Corinthians 10. It's a great text. And really it's the story that we need to heed when we look at the life of King Saul. Yeah, he was tempted. It was not an easy journey. We think, oh, it would be wonderful to be the king. It would be wonderful to be the queen. No way. <laughs> I wouldn't want it for, for all the tea in England to be the king. No way. There's a whole brew of situations that come with that. No, you don't want to be what that other person has. We often say things we don't know what we say. God knows the best of what he gives. And so in that, whatever we're, where we are, where we're tempted and tried, he provides a way that we can endure. So I want to share some things, uh, lessons from the life and death of Saul. Number one, we see Saul at this last chapter, 1 Samuel 31. Go there, please, with me. 1 Samuel 31 is the last chapter. Today we're going to leave Saul. Before we leave him, we have to sum up his life and his death. And to do that, I want to begin, we're going to read the first two verses of 1 Samuel 31, and it really is about defeat. We see defeat. I want to read this, 1 Samuel 31, verse 1. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, the Israelites fled before them, and many fell dead at Mount Gilboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Melchishua. Defeat. There's some lessons regarding Saul and defeat. Saul started off and he had a lot of early victories in his life. He walked with God. He walked close with God. He was humble. Here at the end, the last chapter of Samuel, he's running. He's running from his enemy. And his enemies winning. He started off, Saul was winning. And now his life is ending. And he's ending in defeat. It's pretty sad. His career was with great victory. And yet he moved down a path of defeat. He made some choices in life. And he's now running. And Saul has no one to blame but himself. It's him. Saul had come to realize he was on a dead-end road. He continued to not humble himself before the Lord, to repent, to turn back. 
He continued to be filled with pride, continued to be about him. So God had stopped. He no longer could hear God. He no longer could hear what God was wanting to say. So it comes to his really crazy part in, in 1 Samuel chapter 28. If we were to go back just a couple of chapters, 1 Samuel 28 verses 15 to 19 is kind of a, it's a crazy little spot there. I've read it multiple times and tried to understand it, and I don't presume to really understand this little spot right here. I'm just going to read it. 1 Samuel 28 verse 15, because what's, what, what's, what Saul does, he, he can't hear from God, and of course God would speak through the prophets, Samuel's dead. But what Saul does is he goes to a witch. And he asks the witch to call up Samuel from the dead. Because he hasn't heard from God in a long time. And you can go way back in the Old Testament, scripture after scripture, you don't do that. You don't flirt with evil. You don't flirt with wickedness. And yet Saul was, had so removed his heart that he goes to a witch and he says, would you call up Samuel? And God allows Samuel from the dead to speak. And it's a weird little section right here. And don't ask me to, to understand it because I really don't. Because it's never in the heart or the will of God. But there's this moment where God saw the importance and the depravity of Saul that Samuel would speak. Now, here's what he said. Here it is. 1 Samuel 28, verse 15. Samuel called up, said... Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul says. The Philistines are fighting against me and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me either by prophet or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel had tried. While he was living, he tried. Verse 16, Samuel said, Why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, David. Because you, you you Saul, did not obey the Lord. You did not carry out the fierce wrath against the Amalekites. The Lord has done this to you today. 19, the Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Crazy little section right there. It demonstrates something about the defeat of Saul. He was fighting the wrong enemy. He was fighting David. He was fighting God. He was fighting pure obedience. Saul was his own worst enemy. He thought David was the enemy, but here he was shown, Saul, it's you. Saul, you have the choice to change your life. All of us here this morning, we have the choice to make changes in our life. We want to blame someone else, but it really does come down to you. God will help you. Remember, there's no temptation so great that God will not provide a way to get through that temptation. But you must choose it. Every day, every step, it's an ongoing process. Not once at the beginning, ongoing process of a choice that you will do for the Lord. And as we witness the end of Saul's life, it really is tragic because God had prospects for Saul. I mean, I began to just look at his life and review. Saul had a very good friend. His name was Samuel. Samuel tried to help him. 
Saul had a capable associate, his son, Jonathan. Saul had a helper in David. Saul had a band of loyal followers who were faithful and loyal to him. Saul had been endowed with the Holy Spirit. We talked of that the first week together. And Saul had natural giftings that God could use. I mean, look at it. Good friend, capable associate, a helper, a band of loyal followers, endowed with the Holy Spirit, natural gifts. And yet here he is, last chapter of Samuel, laying defeated in the battlefield of Mount Gilboa. The point is this. Defeat does not come from outside. Defeat comes from inside. Defeat does not come from out there. We look for the enemy, but the enemy, your greatest enemy, is inside. I remember a good friend of mine from Cuba when we started the mission in Cuba. And he would get up. I remember he spoke in his church one time in Cologne. And he had a, he had a mirror. And he brought the mirror up onto the platform. And he says, you know who my number one enemy is? And he, he looked at the mirror and he says, it's me. Because the enemy fights from within. And I need to surrender that daily to the Holy Spirit. Let God rise Let God rise up inside. Defeat. Second thing we want to talk about is the death of Saul. 1 Samuel, let's continue on. Chapter 31, verse 3. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Verse 4. Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. Verse 6, so Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men died together that same day. Let's just pause here. Let's look at this for a second. Saul is, the fighting overtook him. He's wounded. He knows he can't make it off the battlefield. He won't make it. He knows that. He's been in enough battles. Turns to his armor bearer, the person closest to him, who protects him, who has given his life for him, and says, kill me because I don't want to be abused by them. It's a reasonable request, kind of strange, but a reasonable request. He was afraid of being abused, and uh, his armor bearer wouldn't do it. Kudos to the armor bearer. Where do you find loyalty like that? An armor bearer who says, I've given my life to save your life. I will never take your life, even if you ask me to. Kudos to him. He wouldn't do it. And Saul then turned the sword, probably pointed it downward on the ground and thrust himself through and died. The armor bearer, realizing his only purpose was for Saul, he, know he couldn't make it off the battlefield either, then took his own life. And Saul's children were killed. Note the last part where it says, and all his men died together that day. All his men does not mean the entire army of Israel. All his men means his bodyguard, the royal bodyguard died. You might remember that David had been Saul's armor bearer for a while. Do you remember that we talked of that last week? Saul had raised him up. He loved David. He raised him up, made him his personal armor bearer. And also made him the chief musician. When he was in depression in those, those modes where it got really dark, he would call David and David would come and, and would worship God before Saul and, and it would lift off Saul. But David was also his 
number one armor bearer. He, he bore the armor and he was also skilled in war. He, he would make sure nobody got through to Saul. That was his job. David did that for a while. But then circumstances got ugly. Saul tried to kill David. Okay, You don't try to kill your armor bearer. Okay, It doesn't go well. And he tried to kill David on a few occasions and David had to run from Saul. And so David ran. And David struggled with that. And he really struggled with that. Now you look at the story here, this last part of the story, where you see Saul falling on his sword. And then verse 6, his three sons, his armor bearer, and his royal bodyguard dying. Listen, if David had not separated himself from Saul, David would have been that armor bearer that day, dying. Did you see that? If he had not separated himself from Saul, it would not have gone well for David that day. How marvelous are the ways of the Lord. David could not understand why all those difficulties happened to him. You read of Psalm after Psalm. We read some of them last week. All the difficulties, but in the end... Those trials, listen to this, those trials actually spared his life and allowed the nation of Israel to rebound to become the greatest nation in the world. It's because of those trials. It's because of those circumstances. Beloved, sometimes I, I, I look at this and sometimes we don't understand the things that we go through. But when we put our faith and trust in God, it's easier said than done. Yes, granted, but you can do it. When you put your faith and trust in God, his ways are beyond tracing. The last few verses, it's called the doxology of the book of Romans chapter 11. It says God's ways are beyond tracing. You, you can't really understand how they all amazingly line up, but they do. And David looked upon this wood later and realized that had he not separated them, had these circumstances not pushed David away, it would have been a very different day for David who would become the great king. We're going to talk about David next week. We're going to spend a few weeks on David. His story is amazing. You don't want to miss this. But as we look at the death of Saul, what a tragedy. What a tragedy that others had to die with Saul. Jonathan, his son, was slain. Jonathan was a young man of faith and courage, a great warrior, David's best friend. He died that day because of Saul. And the rest of Saul's, all his sons died in their dad's battle. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, it says, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13 says, Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance and did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. We see some lessons in the defeat and the death of Saul. But there's also a lesson of disgrace. Disgrace. We pick it up again. Chapter 31 of 1 Samuel, chapter 31, verse 7. Let's continue. When the Israelites along the valley 
And those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died. They abandoned their towns and fled. Just pandemonium. And the Philistines came and occupied them. Verse 8. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head, stripped off his armor. They sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among their people. They put his armor in the temple of the Asteras and fastened his body to the wall of Beth Shan. Lori and I, uh, a few years ago, visited Israel. Our tour guide took us to Mount Geboa. And I was remembering this story, and so we, were, we stayed for a few hours at Mount Geboa. I actually I took a hike to the top of the mountain where the battle took place. It was significant to me, as it's significant this morning. Significant in that um, I pulled out this text right here when we were in Israel. I pulled out the text and I read this because I was wanting to refresh my memory. What took place at this little, this little mountain? I mean, it's not a big mountain, not like, you know, our Rockies. It's a big hill, Mount Gaboa. But there was a huge battle that took place. The battle came in and Saul and his royal guard put themselves on top of this and they it was the best position but they were just outnumbered and God's favor was not on them they would die and then I began to read through this part his Saul his three sons his royal men died there they cut off his head stripped off his armor and they then took that to their temple remember going to the top of that little Mount Geboa and thinking about the battle so many years ago, of how the defeat and the heart of the people got lost at that battle. And it was a prayer I made. Lori didn't want to go up there. She stayed at the bottom. She was smart. She stayed down. But I went to the top, and a and, uh, bit of a journey up there. And I, I, I remember my prayer. I said, God, put people in my life that never allow me to do what Saul did. Put people in my life who will remind me when I start to stray. Who will remind me that there is hope in the midst of hopelessness. No matter what I face, no matter what the outlook might be, whether it's me and I have a terminal sickness or someone dear to me, whatever it is, Lord, may I not forget that it doesn't have to end this way. It doesn't have to end this way. Remind me, Lord. And he has on a few occasions. Can't you just hear the Philistines jeering and saying, this was the great Saul. They took his head. They cut off his head. And they went around saying, this was the great king. And worse than that, the name of the Lord was blasphemed that day. The enemy took Saul's armor to the house of their idols and gave glory to their false gods for the victory they had. We know why the victory took place that day. God had lifted his hand off Saul. But they gloated over it. You see, disobedience gives ammunition to the enemy and he blasphemes the name of God and he disgraces God's people. And it happens over and over again. It's why a lot of people have nothing to do with the church today. Because disgrace upon the body of Christ. Just like that day, they disgraced the name of the one true God. They disgraced him.
If you read on to the very next book, there, 1 Samuel ends in the 31st chapter, but if you went to 2 Samuel chapter 1, in 2 Samuel chapter 1, tells the story there of David. And there's an Amalekite who grabs a hold of the crown that fell from Saul's head that day on Mount Gilboa. The, Saul, the crown fell from his head. He grabbed the crown and he ran back to David. And he presented it to David. You read of it in the first chapter of 2 Samuel. And he goes to David, but he misunderstood the heart of David. He thought David was a revengeful kind of a guy. He did not understand the heart of David. We're going to study David. David was a different kind of a guy. The kind of a guy I want to be like. Not like what Saul was. He took the crown and he came running back to David and he told David a bold-faced lie. He told David, he said in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10, he said, so I stood beside him and killed him. He said, I killed Saul because I knew that after he had fallen, he could not survive. And I took the crown that was on his head and the band on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. What the Amalekite thought was David was going to reward him handsomely for what he did. He was taking credit for killing the king. Now we know he didn't kill the king. We know that Saul fell on the sword. But he thought if he told the king, look, I got rid of your enemy for you, the new, the new king, David. I got, rid of, I got rid of Saul. He was pursuing David. He tried to kill David. And so uh, I'll get a reward, right? And It didn't turn out that way. He actually would lose his own life because of this. But I find what is really sad in that little text right there is that part, and I took the crown. I took the crown. I took the crown. It takes me back to that text we read earlier this morning, Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Jesus says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will what? Take your crown. Saul had his crown taken from him. I took his crown. Hold on. Hold on, Jesus says, to what you have. What do you have? You have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have Christ alive in you today. Hold on to what you have. So that no one, nothing takes your crown. A couple of days ago, I uh, was reading a book. Uh, so it was Friday. And I picked this book up uh, when I was down in the U.S. back here a number of months ago. And I think it was in March. And it's by Randy Frazee. And Randy, uh, um, we did a few years ago a video series here at the church called The Story. Randy Frazee was behind the story. And uh, Randy uh, pastored in Chicago, uh, went down, took over um, as lead pastor for Max Licato's church. Max, a great writer, Christian writer in San Antonio, Texas. And then something happened, and I really don't know the story because I just learned of it. He wrote this two years ago. Uh, he now pastors in Kansas City. But he went through a period of Great Depression. And I hadn't realized that. And so I was reading through the book, and he, he disclosed it. He, he told about his story of going into Great Depression. It's a, his book called uh, His Mighty Strength, uh, Walking Daily in the Same Power that Raised Jesus from the Dead. So I was reading the story a couple of days ago, and, and, and as Randy talked about, there's um, three, three people close to him that betrayed him. Uh, he was pastoring a church. He, again, um, uh, was uh, a pastor of pastors. A great leader in the Christian movement, but he, he said he stopped sleeping at night. He couldn't go to sleep. He says some people, when they go through depression, they gain weight. He said, well, he discovered he loses weight. 
And he went down to skin and bone. He couldn't eat. He had no appetite. He couldn't sleep at night. Tossed and turned, couldn't sleep. He couldn't eat. His wife finally convinced him to go to the doctor. He resigned from the church. And he went to the doctor, and he went to multiple doctors. He went to psychologists, went to psychiatrists, went to a therapist, went to his medical doctor, went to some friends who were trained in the field. I mean, he had access to all of them, and, and uh, you know, try to work out, try to have better eating habits, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. He kind of tells a little bit of his journey here of coming out of it. Uh, it was a very, very good read. I, like I said, I read the whole thing in one sitting. And it kind of came down to where he discovered something about the power of the Holy Spirit. His background was more fundamentalist. He hadn't really given a whole lot of place to the working and the power of the Holy Spirit who can do an amazing work in your heart and your life. He was, um, he was an academic. He trained in the, among the best of them. Very smart in the ways of the faith. Knew his Bible. Was not an immature Christian, but the enemy got in and got a hold of his heart and was destroying it. He entered into this season, protracted season of a number of months of depression until he talks of the journey where he discovered the power of the Holy Spirit who guided him back into healthy living. And out of that, he wrote this book. He actually was supposed to write this book ahead of time and he told the editor, I can't do it. Like he's written multiple books. He says, I can't do it. I, I'm in a season. I, he sat down and nothing he had some old manuscripts, he threw them out because he said, they don't apply to me anymore, and he, this came out of it. I want to say that out of death, unless a seed dies and is buried, you don't see life. And something happened in the life of Saul and his death that brings new life, and not only that, but um, brings God from the place of where disgrace was, brings his grace back again. There's some lessons I want to close today, lessons Saul never learned that can help you and I keep our crown. Let me just go through them quickly. Number one, sin is serious. Let's just call it what it is. Sin is not a mistake. See, I call sin and mistakes different. A mistake is where it's a boo-boo. You slip. Sin is where you continue to. You've gone from a boo-boo into habitual. You continue to. You continue to make those choices. Now that's sin. Mistake is, well, it's a one out. You turn to the Lord, you come back. Sin is you don't. You keep doing it. You keep choosing. Saul did not take his sin seriously. He made excuses for his sin. He blamed others for his sin. He ran ahead of the will of God. As a matter of fact, when you read through all of those chapters of the life of Saul, you never really truly see him repenting for anything. Oh, there was the one moment where he said he sinned, but he just did it for his reputation's sake. You never really see him saying, God, search my heart, find any wicked way, and cleanse me. I changed my life. Don't see it. Therefore, the first lesson I want to suggest from the death of Saul is take sin seriously. We may think we can cover up our sin, but eventually it will be revealed. I always have used it. I heard it years ago, and I remind others, don't mistaken delayed judgment from being dismissed judgment. Because you sin and you don't see immediate consequence, don't ever assume it was dismissed. Your judgment's just delayed. It's pushed back, giving you opportunity to come back to God. Praise God for that. Number two, 
Spiritual decline is gradual. The second lesson, it's gradual. Saul's failure was not immediate. At first, Saul's life, he was a humble man. But pride set in, and pride was fanned by a spirit of jealousy and envy. Saul envied David's success, David's popularity. At first, Saul was an obedient guy, but he started making excuses. He started plotting. At first, Saul loved David, but little by little, the stubborn refusing to submit to the issues of his own heart, he lost his best friend. Spiritual decline is gradual. It's possible for our spiritual life to deteriorate without you ever really knowing it's deteriorating. It's kind of the story of the frog dying in the hot water. You just don't throw him in. You gradually heat it until he dies. It's gradual, gradual, just little by little, and we often don't even see the spiritual decay. It's possible for our spiritual fervor to change so gradually that we can't detect it. And sometimes others may not be able to detect it either. It's gradual. Third lesson I'd like to learn from this is integrity is essential. Saul was a double-minded man. Now, when I think of integrity, I think of oneness, solidness, completeness. When you think of integrity, you think of integrity, integrity in, in steel, integrity in, in concrete, integrity. Is it integrity? Is it strong? Is it complete? Is it one? Versus when it lacks integrity, when a building lacks integrity, it means it's being split open. It means there's a division taking place. There's a compromise. So when I think of it, I actually last night, I was, I was looking at this, and so I just, I asked, I have a little Google Mini beside me, so I said, hey, G, I don't want it, your phone's going off. Hey, G, give me the definition of integrity. And, and that's what it was. It was talking, it says two definitions. You gave the one, and it was the one we often think, well, you know, upright, living, da-da-da-da-da. And I said, no, I want the second. The second was integrity, that the solidness, the completeness of something. Integrity is essential. Singleness. At first, Saul was serving God and God alone. He did what God wanted of him. Then quietly, Saul began to serve God and himself. You see, he began to lose integrity. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and other things will be added to you. It says that place him upon the throne. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Then begin to serve and help others. Have integrity with God, one with Him, and then you'll have integrity with others. But if you don't get this straight, then you lack integrity. You will be double-minded. So get this going well. Get your spiritual life on the go. He didn't. And Saul started to serve himself, and then he used God to try to serve himself. When God commanded Saul to completely destroy the Amalekites, Saul decided he wanted something for himself in the battle. He lacked integrity. Single-hearted devotion is so important. Luke chapter 16, verse 13 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. God and things. It doesn't work. It's what happened to Saul, and he ended up a double-minded man. Integrity is essential. Number four lesson, obedience is the key to victory and success. God must be the Lord of our lives. We make God's will my will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
We must not argue with God. We must not rebel against him, run ahead of him, nor lag behind. Galatians 20, uh, chapter 5, verse 25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Obedience is the key to victory and success. God help me to be obedient in everything. And lastly, we must build our spiritual lives. It doesn't happen overnight. It's block by block by block. Today, my prayer, those that joined in the pre-service prayer know my prayer was, God, add another block to the building of our lives today. You know, we want it all to go up overnight, but you really don't want to move into a house if it goes up that fast. You want it to be done right. And it's carefully, the foundation has to be laid and, and, and cured. And then, you know, the framework, the footings, the framework. You want it done block by block. And it's true in our lives we must build our spiritual lives. It's interesting when I study and I look at the life of Saul, I really don't find Saul building anything. He really doesn't build anything. David, on the other hand, again, we're going to talk about him, but David, on the other hand, he was constantly building his spiritual life. Read through the writings of David, and we will do that. You read through the writings of David. We're going to go through some of his writings in the Psalms, and you will see David beginning to grow in his prayers. And then you see him add to that block. and add. You see David growing to the discipline of his faith, and he adds to the blocks of faith. David growing in his discipline with relationships, and you see him adding block by block. And he was growing with his family, adding block by block. He was growing in his prayers, and he was adding block by block. He carefully built his, allowed God to build his life block by block. Beloved, there's something, Saul didn't do that. He thought he would get it quickly. He wanted it fast. He never really built anything. If we want to have our crown last for life, block by block, invest in the building of your spiritual life. And I believe you are doing that. But I I encourage you a few moments ago, we're going to be doing home groups. I believe this is key to growing spiritual lives. you got to invest in that kind of stuff, whether or not you feel like it, whether or not it's your rhythm. It makes an investment. I need to grow block by block in my life and allow others to be a part of it. Then watch what God will do in your life or, or just hope for the best. Well, Saul did, and it didn't go well. And too many lives. The Bible says that in the last day, many will depart from the faith. Many means... The majority. That's really sad. Who lose their crown? I'm just believing that not one person in the sound of my voice will lose the crown. I'm believing we will grow. I'm believing that we will discover that what God has started in us, he has perfect intent and ability to complete it in greater ways than you could ever imagine. But God, but God has warned us there will be trials and temptation along the way to try to steal your crown you got to fight it. you got to fight it. And part of that is building up your spiritual life to refuse it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. 
But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, your crown will be tested. The day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. The fire will be the testing. Fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Build it block by block. So let's bring the conclusion. We need to learn the lessons Saul never learned. Here they are. Be doers, not sayers. Be quick to confess your sin before the Lord. Don't excuse them. Be men and women of character and integrity. Refuse to allow envy or jealousy a place in your heart. If it's there, let's pray about that today. Obedience is the key to victory and success. If you've been disobeying, if you've been making some unwise choices today, let's leave it here. And let's build your spiritual life or you will fall. I come back to the scripture we read earlier in Revelation 3.11. Jesus says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.